All right, First Corinthians chapter eight. We set gracious examples. Um, has anyone ever had somebody argue with you who didn't know what they were talking about? All the time. Yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, those kindergartners. Um, I had to take one out of the class yesterday because she was saying all the answers to a test out loud. And so I just happened to be bringing her a chai tea, iced chai tea, latte, grande, pumpkin, spice, something. And I walked in and listen, she's loving it. If you haven't had the chai latte from, from Starbucks, add apple brown sugar syrup to it. It is so good. It it, like, it's amazing. It's life changing. She didn't want that. She wanted the pumpkin spice because she's white and female. No, they so, have spice yeah, so it's a pumpkin spice chai latte. And anyway, so I was dropping that off to her and there was a four-year-old that did not want to cooperate. And um, so I had to take her out of the class. Didn't plan to do that. I just planned to drop off a drink. But then she sat down in the hallway and and like I wasn't about to manhandle a four-year-old girl. So yeah, that's the second time she's gotten kicked out of the classroom. So I just picked her up and to walk her out and then she got in trouble, had to sit there and then ended up going back into the class later on. So that's how, that's how it feels sometimes whenever we're dealing with people who just don't know what they're talking about. Um, that little girl didn't realize that when she's told not to do something, that that's the time to stop doing it. And that got her in trouble. And then she had an issue with all of us telling her that that was why she was in trouble. In fact, she believed that she was not in trouble and that she was right and that every other person in the entire known universe was wrong about that. And it was frustrating and it gets annoying. And uh, one time, one time there was this older kid on the playground. Um, my, my dad like didn't come to pick me up after school. And so the school building and the daycare building used to be there, like, you know, and they had like the, the playground in between. And so after school one day, I was just hanging out as a staff kid for dad to finish up a meeting or something. And there was this 13 year old and I didn't understand how numbers worked yet. Cause I thought that 13 wasn't a teenager. I thought you had to be 15 to be a teenager. I don't know why that didn't register with me, but it didn't. So he told me, I asked him, how old are you? We were having like a friendly conversation and he was like, how old are you? Um, and I told him how old I was, I think I was seven, maybe, maybe eight. And then he told me how old he was and he was 13. And he said, well, I'm a teenager. And I told him that he is not a teenager. And I was quite vehement about it. And to the point that he actually took his belt off and swung it in the air, he snapped it around that kid. Like he must've been like in the rodeo or something. Because he snapped it, he popped it in the air like a whip, like Indiana Jones. And he scared me off, so I ran away, of course. <laughs> and then I got the meanest woman I could find at the daycare, which wasn't hard. And then she came out and she got everybody. They had literally everyone on the playground line up. And there were two boys, and I went and I, I had to literally pick them up, pick them out in a lineup. But it was just karma because one time when we first got here, probably the year before. I did. I did. We don't have to talk about that. Um, it was what goes around comes around. What what you sow, that shall you also reap. That's what happened. Because the year before in VBS, um, there was a kid who said that he was older than me. Num me and numbers and age. I don't know. This kid said that he was older than I am. 
And I was not having it because I was seven and he was six and he insisted that he was older than I was. So I put him in an arm lock and he never came back to church. Um, I know, like, so I really did deserve the whip crack belt at that point. Like they should have just let me whatever happened happened at that point because I did that to a kid. But the point is, sometimes you're going to have arguments and conversations with people who don't know what they're talking about. I was that kid twice. And then I had to deal yesterday with a kid who was just like that. And the fact is, sometimes that doesn't just happen in life. It doesn't just happen with kids and stupid arguments about age. It also happens in real life about real things that matter. And sometimes there's people, like when I asked that, you said clients. Sometimes there's people who say stupid things about stuff they literally don't know anything about. And even though you are the professional, or at least you know more about it than they do, they still argue with you and they still have issues with it. And you can be mad at them. You can say it's not fair. You can flex your knowledge about the, about the issue. But at the end of the day, you do need to set an example the way that God would want to. Because we're not just Christians when we're here. We're also Christians at our jobs and when we're dealing with four-year-olds and when we're dealing with angry clients. And we're Christians wherever we go. And the Bible says that Jesus said that they're going to know us by our love. And so in order for them to know us by our love, we actually have to show our love. And that's where today I want to talk about we set gracious examples. And we're going to show, we're going to walk through this passage a little bit out of order. Um, and the key takeaway tonight is to lead people closer to Jesus by showing grace. Show grace to people. Sometimes people are going to have arguments or they're going to have preferences. I think in the Christian world, that's where we really get our get the rub because people have different preferences and standards and things than we do. And that's okay. They're entitled to have those. It gets frustrating when they enforce those on us though, where I'm free to do something and I don't have to do it your way, but they make it seem like I do have to do it their way when they really under the law of grace have no right to do that. But in some ways, we they might not have a right to push their standards on us, but we do have a right to relinquish our standards for them. And that's where the example comes in, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because what do you think leads people closer to Jesus? Arguing with them, telling them why they're wrong every time, especially an immature believer, or loving them, showing the love of Jesus so that they fall more in love with him and because of that, study his word more and then understand the truth as you and I would see it. That's probably going to be a better strategy for getting people to agree with you than not. And that's what our goal is tonight is to set an example that endears them to Christ instead of pushes him pushes them away from him. Now, there's four principles for setting a gracious example. Um, before I give you those, let me kind of give you the background real quick. Okay, so verse, um, you're in 1 Corinthians 8, I said 7. 1 Corinthians 8, pick up in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 7. So concerning the eating of foods that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world and that there is no other God but one. What is he asking about? What is he talking about? Well, the Corinthian church apparently wrote Paul a letter, and they asked him two questions, one about marriage, and it seems like they asked him another one about meat offered to idols can you, can you eat that meat? Now, the background is basically the pagan worship that happened there in Corinth. They would oftentimes sacrifice the parts of the animal that you wouldn't eat 
and then they would keep the parts that you did. And so you could get prime rib for a low price because they would oftentimes do scores of sacrifices at the same time. So there would be 20 or, or 50 animals sacrificed in a day and you could just go buy them off the market. And because there were so many of them, you could buy them at a discount and you could make some, you know, you get the best quality food for the cheapest price in town. And some Christians didn't have a problem with this. Some Christians did have a problem with this. So what happened? He says, so concerning the eating of foods that are offered and sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. So that means that those false gods, they don't even exist. They don't, they're not even real. So there's no other God but one. Verse five, for there are those who are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there are many gods and many lords. But for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all, I'm sorry, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things, I'm sorry, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Verse seven, however, not everyone has this knowledge. So he says, we only believe in one God. They believe in a bunch of gods. They are scared of eating meat offered to those gods because they don't want to participate in the worship of those gods. But you and I both know, he's kind of whispering behind the scenes, you and I both know that there's only really one God. And so they're scared of participating in worship of that, but that doesn't even exist. So how can you worship something that's not there? You and I know that, Paul says, but not everyone has this knowledge. And then he continues, some being accustomed to the idol until now, so until they were saved, eat the food as a thing offered to an idol. So they still think they haven't, okay, they're saved. They know Jesus, but they don't realize that Christianity isn't just another religion to add on to their belief system. It is the only religion. It is the only belief system. And they haven't learned all the doctrine that a more mature believer would understand. They only know the basics that they are sinners and that they need Jesus's sacrifice for their, for their eternity. So, they're accustomed to that idol worship all the way th- until now. Their entire lives, they've known that. They've known nothing else. So their weak conscience, it says, is defiled. It's a weak conscience because it's not grown in the strength of the Spirit. They haven't grown close to the Holy Spirit yet through maturity. And so they believe if you're eating from the idol worship, then you're doing wrong. And I would never do that, they would say. But that's exactly what happens when we talk to other people who have different preferences or different standards that might not be as biblically educated as today. We'll talk about that at the end. Let me give you a quick overview. We actually just knocked out our first section of this. Second section, I'm going to give you your principles. We're going to talk through them. I'm going to walk through what the Bible says about it. And then our third section, I'm going to give you an example that is pertinent to me at least, something that I've had to think through that God used this, this passage to speak to me in my study, and then we'll be done, okay? So we, all, we just checked off the first box. Here's the second box. Okay, four principles for setting a gracious example. Number one, some issues some issues don't affect our relationship with God. They just don't. And in this case, the eating of Idle meat is not an issue that affects my closeness with God. Look at verse eight. Remember, he said, "Take." Um, he said, "Some people their weak conscience is defiled." Verse eight. But food does not commend us to God. Neither, if we eat, are we the better, nor if we do not eat, are we the worse. 
So if you eat or you don't eat, you're not going to be closer or farther from God. You're not going to be better off in your Christian walk. You're not going to be worse off. It just doesn't matter is what Paul says. Because remember, there is only one God. And if you're not displeasing him, if you're not doing something against him, then you don't have to worry about displeasing him because you're not. You're just doing part of life. And frankly, you're eating better food, which is going to help you live longer. And probably because of that, witness to more people. And you're doing it more economically, which means that you're going to live an altogether better life because stewardship is important to God. So honor God, but you're not going to be closer or farther to him. And even Jesus said, it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, but what comes out. So if you're just, if you're eating temple meat or not, it doesn't matter. But in real life today, we don't have that. We don't have like pagan temple worship food that we have to decide whether we're going to eat it or not. Um, I think the closest thing is like the blueberry donuts in Sunday school class. Like, are you going to chance it or not? But yeah, see how that works for you. Number one, some issues just don't affect our relationship with God. I think you're going to find that for some issues in life, God gives you the freedom of choice. And the doctrinal Christian word for that is liberty. And you have liberty to choose what you're going to do on those issues. And I have the same liberty. And so does every other Christian who's ever lived and ever will live because God gives it to us. He gives us the chance to choose what we're going to do. There's some areas that the Bible just does not directly speak to. And there's some areas where it might even mention it, but it does not give a clear direction of what you must and must not do. And so you are it, it is within your liberty to choose how you and your family are going to act in that way. Other people are going to be different. And I cannot tell you that you're going to be closer to God because of it, and they're going to be farther to God, farther from God because of it. It's just, some things just don't matter. And sometimes we make things matter that God never intended to matter. And that's where we get in trouble. But I think for our church, we need to remember that those things don't matter. And we can't make mountains out of God's molehills. But number two, even though we have that liberty, never let your liberty harm another Christian. Never, ever let your liberty harm another Christian. Verse 9 says this, but take heed. That means pay attention to yourself. Lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. By any means, he says. It means pay attention to yourself and make sure that in no way do you offend another Christian who doesn't have the same standards, the same practices that you do. And I think sometimes we can get that backwards. We can say, hey, you, your standards are offending me, so I don't like them, so you better shut up about that. Or you better not preach that to your congregation, or you better not teach that in your Sunday school class. But did God call them to the pulpit in that church, or did God, or, or did God call you to it? And did God know better than you that that would be the right person for the job? But the same thing. We look at families and we think, I would never let my kids watch that show. I would never let them listen to that kind of music. Or I don't know why they don't let their kids listen to what I let my kids do. And we let our preferences divide us. And then we get mad at the other people because they don't do things the same way that we do. When in fact, the church is supposed to be diverse. If not, then we would all be feet. But the church, the body doesn't need just feet. Our, our organic feet, if you were there for that Sunday I preached. Yeah. You also need hands and you also need eyes and you need ears. 
and you need other people to do different jobs because you're suited for different things. And if everyone always does things the same way, then we aren't really being a different body part than anyone else. We're all just being identical. And Jesus never called us to be clones. He didn't. Even within himself, within the Trinity, there's a difference in the personhood of each part. And so we expect us to be the same when God himself is not the same, if that makes sense. Why do we expect different than what God has ordained? And then we, we condemn other people for acting differently, when really we should be more careful and utterly concerned that my preferences, my actions, my decisions don't offend you. Once we start doing that, once we get really hard on ourselves and really, really easy on them, that's when we're in the balance that Jesus has for us. But then, verse 3, if you wouldn't give up your practices for someone else, you're the weaker Christian. Number three. And this is kind of hard to hear, I think. Because we all want to be the stronger Christian. And oftentimes, the more knowledgeable Christian, the more experienced Christian, the wiser Christian, most of the time is the, the stronger Christian. But sometimes we're not. And even though we might know some, we might know more about the Bible than what somebody else does, we make ourselves the weaker Christian when we choose to act outside of what God commands us. So look at verse 10. He says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, that means if anyone who's a Christian sees you eating in the idol's temple, shall the conscience of him who is weak not be emboldened to eat those things which are offered, offered to idols? What that means, that means is if somebody already has just become a Christian, they haven't separated in their minds our religion, our belief system from all the others that they've grown up following, and they see you partaking in that pagan worship, don't you think that they're going to want to take part in that too and just think, oh, that's okay? I've, I've learned some things by people's example that I wish that I hadn't learned. And I don't know that they were wrong for doing it, but I certainly was. Because I've learned it's okay to talk to people like that when you're only 19, Charlie, but they were 54. 54. You know what I mean? Like sometimes there's an element of maturity and there's an element of like where they are in life that we cannot copy, but we try to copy because they are farther in their Christian walk than we are. And we don't, we don't have no business copying what they're doing, but that's exactly what happens is this young Christian who doesn't understand the difference is going to fall into the trap. They're going to see you eating the things that they would never eat and then think, oh wait, it's okay to mix religions. And the whole issue that they have to start with just got even worse because they saw you doing what, okay, they just saw what they thought was, um, was a mix of religions. And that's not what Jesus intended for you. Verse 10, he says that. Verse 11, and by your knowledge, your knowledge, he doesn't even call it your foolishness. He doesn't call it anything else. He says, because you actually do know the law of grace because you do know that you're free, because you do know that you're redeemed and you can do what you want on those gray areas, by your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Did Jesus die for you and your church family so that you can mislead somebody else? That's what he says. Verse 12, 
when you thus sin against the brothers, wounding their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And the, the, his practical application, he says in verse 13, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I cause my brother to stumble. Now, obviously we are not fighting some kind of battle against pagan meat, but we do fight battles against other things. We fight battles against those music references or against the dress standards that people have. And I think when we were in the teen group, our teen leaders tried, when we went to other churches, they tried to do this. And they tried to tell, uh, especially the girls, you know, wear a skirt, make sure it's knee length, don't wear spaghetti straps, wear things that they knew were going to be safe at that church. And some of the girls literally came and said, well, I have freedom in Christ. I can wear whatever I want. Like they told, they said that. And they would come in their pants and they would come in their jeans. And they're fully within their right to do so. Just not when it's going to cause somebody else to stumble. And that's the problem with our grace is we think it's our liberty when it's really God's liberty. And what we need to start doing is stop hanging on to our liberty and start giving him liberty to work in their lives so that at some point we can both agree on these things. And if we don't agree, then God can part the ways and make it work. But the fact is we are not to use our liberty for an occasion to the flesh. That's what Paul says in Galatians. And my flesh says, well, I don't like your decision, so I'm going to do what I want regardless of you. And that's just not right. That's just not. And in that moment, we think that our liberty makes me the stronger Christian by our knowledge. But we're really the weaker Christian because we've fallen into sin and we've caused someone else to sin. Two casualties is never worth my gene preference. It's just not. You might be the more knowledgeable Christian, but that also means that you're more responsible to act in grace. I think that's, that's the point here of the entire passage. And here's just a little hint. If you, if you show people love, even when you disagree with them, which, by the way, we call that grace, when you show grace, that endears you to people. And when they love you, they want maybe even to listen to you. And at that point, God might give you a chance to tell them, hey, you know, the Bible does say that you can do this. You know that, right? And then at that point, God gave you the opportunity to speak truth into their life that can help them grow. But before, you would have had to hijack that privilege and you would have been cramming down their necks something that they did not agree with, that they did not want to hear, something that they didn't care how much Bible you had to back it up. You were just forcing it on them. And that's really not going to be a great relationship builder, I don't think. It's not going to be an agent of change, but grace will. And so in that moment, we need to decide, do I want to be a weak Christian or a strong Christian? And now we have two paths. I can pick the weaker one and cram it down their throats and argue with them and tell them why they're wrong. Or I can be a mature Christian and it doesn't matter if I even think it's going to offend them. I'm just not going to do it. That's, I think, where we should be. And what that's going to do is show the love of Christ. So what's the real goal here? It's to get people closer to Jesus. And that can't happen if I, their physical representation of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus, am acting 
like the devil, causing them to sin and in so doing, causing myself to sin. It doesn't work. It's the opposite. So is the best way to correct their immature believing or to show them the love of Jesus so that they can get closer to him, fall in love with the Bible, and come to the same conclusion that we did. So here are, that's our first section. We gave the background information. We just gave the principles. Let me give you an example. And then we'll, I'll just give you three application points that are super easy that I've already told you. And then we're done. They're not in your list. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Number four, knowledge makes you arrogant. Love makes you build others. Edify. That's the, the Bible word for it. Sorry. Let's go back to the first uh, first three verses. I studied this whole passage and like ignored the first three verses. And then once I saw it, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense. You know, because sometimes you forget like the introduction. I did that. And once I jumped back into it, I was like, that's exactly what God wants to say. Verse one. Now it's concerning food offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. But then watch this. Knowledge produces arrogance, but love edifies. So if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. It's when we quit talking about all the things that we've studied and that we know and that we can regurgitate in all of our classes in college or all of our personal Bible studies or all the notes that we've taken or sermons we've heard, all of that stuff. So when we stop talking about our knowledge and start talking about the Savior, the one full of grace and the author and finisher of our salvation, that's when we are the one represented and known by God. Not when we're talking about all of our knowledge because knowledge puffs us up. We get really bold and really, really strong about all the things that we know. And it's not just true about the Bible. I think this is true in normal life too. We think, oh, well, you're not doing that right at work. Or my boss said this to me and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, you might be right, but you're also puffed up. Because knowledge does nothing but make you arrogant and make you actually just a fool on the outside. You think you're wise on the inside, but you make yourself to act like a fool on the outside. Because a mature person knows when to pick battles and almost never it's something important to do battle. So knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And he's going to echo that again in, in a few chapters from now in chapter 13, which I can't wait to get to. But if you want just a little bit of backstory, go, go study chapter 13. See what love really looks like. Because it always draws people to Jesus, but it never fights battles with them. It will fight battles for them, but it doesn't go to war with other people, um, especially people that you're trying to get to fall more in love with Jesus. So now we're done with section number two, our principles. Sorry. Number three, here's a quick example that our church has faced that I personally thought of whenever I was studying this. Um, the King James Version versus the other Bibles. Um, you use New King James I'm teaching from an MEV, um, and I'm sure there's going to be other people who come with different versions in time. I think there are people who see the King James Version as a higher standard, as a better representation of God, as closer to him. The King James, I think I agree with them in the principle of what they're trying to say. But oftentimes, I've seen people get angry at other Christians for thinking differently. 
for using different versions. And they're wrong for that. And I'm okay saying that, and I have said that to some people. But on the flip side, we're also wrong for saying, well, if I were to go to their church, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use a King James. I wouldn't even bring my King James. But what do they think when they see that sitting there that's not a King James that they have grown up their entire lives believing? They see different letters on the edge of the Bible. And now suddenly their respect for you goes down. Not because it should, not because they know more than you, but because that's how they are. That's, that's how they think. And by the way, I use the word they, not in an insensitive as if it's us versus them. Okay, we are all in the kingdom of Christ. So please don't misunderstand that. Um, but they, they take that standard and they paint us with a brush if you don't have that with they're not respectable and they don't know what they're doing and they're less of a Christian than I am. They just don't know what they're doing. Now, a mature one would say, I have a higher standard, I have more knowledge than you do, so I'm going to let you keep using your MAV. And if you give me the chance, then I'll talk to you about why not to. But us, when it's our turn to do the same thing, somebody comes in and they come in guns blazing about something. Um, Oh, you guys don't use the King James. You can you're more than welcome to. And I've had people come and teach here with King James versions. And I don't expect that to change. I think that's probably going to be the predominant group of people that I would trust to come speak here. I think the same would go for you as well. So the people who have good doctrine tend to use that. And that's okay. I'm not going to ask my dad to come preach here out of the MEV because he's not comfortable with it. Why would I ever make him bow to our standard when we can just bow to his? And the weaker Christian is the one who refuses to bow. The stronger Christian is the one who's sensitive and thinks about it before it even has to be a discussion. And I think sometimes we can fall on both sides. And that's just one example out of many. And there were probably 10 other things that came to mind as I studied this passage. And I just want to be known for as a church that is willing to go the distance for people willing to go that second mile. And even when we don't have to do something, to choose to do it anyway, because we give. Because that's what Jesus did for us. It's the least, it's our reasonable service that we would do that for him as well. Now, on the church side, just quick sidebar and then we'll be done. If someone were to come in here and start blasting us for doing something, it is still our church. And we aren't just going to change our church policy because someone doesn't like it. But And we do need to edify, but most of the time that's not going to be everybody's job just to go jump on. It's not going to be, probably it's not going to be um, the time to jump on it too if they're just blasting. Um, and so I would handle that most of the time. And you know I think we can each handle it, like if it comes personally, obviously. But most of the time that would be my job to kind of nip that especially in a service situation. Like I've seen some people just do dumb stuff at services. And so that's usually, that should be the speaker's job to to nip that. But anyway, at the end of the day, the only application that I have for you is what the Bible said tonight. Don't do things that'll offend others. Let them see Jesus' love through you. And if God gives you the chance to teach, take it. God gave it to you. They asked for it. So tell them. Tell them the truth. Tell them what you've learned and what God has taught you. When we do those things, we're going to help others to become more mature. 
we are not going <laughs> to fall into sin and we're going to woo people to Christ as is our responsibility and our reasonable service.